look at this view. It's amazing, isn't it? So what did we see down there? That's uh, Baslow down there, and just around the corner will be Chatsworth Estate. Oh, it's a beautiful day for us. And there's a, that's a white edge and the, the moor up there has got a herd of red deer on it. Um, wow. You can hear them bellowing when it's a season. Hello, I'm Liv Bolton and welcome back to Series 7 of The Outdoors Fix, a podcast to inspire you to make adventures outdoors a bigger part of your life. In this final episode of the series, we're heading to a beautiful part of the Peak District, where back in the summer, I went for a walk and chatted with my guest, Emma Holland. Emma's story proves that it's never too late to pursue your passion. She transformed her career in her 40s and set up her own mountain leader business. But before we get to Emma's story, I wanted to say thank you so much to all of you who've listened to the four episodes in this series so far with mountain biker Vicky Balfour, Wainwright record setter Chris Gaskin, adventure community founder Kate Capelli, and open water swimming coach Debbie Croydon. It's been such a fantastic experience to produce this series and brilliant to read your messages and feedback. If you enjoyed the episodes, could I ask you to subscribe or write a review on Apple Podcasts about them? Or how about telling your family and friends about the Outdoors Fix? I also want to thank the outdoor footwear company Merrill for kindly supporting this podcast. Their backing makes the Outdoors Fix possible and they always allow me the freedom to find the people and stories I think are important to showcase. I'm a big fan of their Moab Speed hiking shoes and Merrill have kindly offered listeners of the Outdoors Fix a 20% discount on any of their shoes at merrill.co.uk. So just use the code FIX20 which is valid on all full price items on their website. Anyway, let's get back to Series 7 and Emma Holland. Emma is a qualified mountain leader who runs her own mountain leader business, Emma Holland Mountain Training. Having worked for Nottingham City Council since she was 18, it wasn't until her 40s that Emma took the big leap to shift the direction of her career and life towards the outdoors. Now, you'll often find her in the Peak District leading groups on hikes, teaching navigation or wild camping in the hills. Emma took me for a stunning walk on the eastern edge of the Peak District for this episode, and we recorded it sat on the grass in the shade of some birch trees. It was a fascinating conversation about turning the outdoors into a career and how it can positively influence the path of your life. Don't miss Emma's tips for becoming a mountain leader and her favorite hiking spots at the end of the episode, as well as a minute of the sounds of nature for a little bit of escapism in your busy day. So let's get on with the episode, and here's Emma. Emma, hello. Hi, Liv. Welcome to the Outdoors Fix podcast. Thank you so much for coming on to it. Um, we are in the Peak District. It's actually boiling hot right now, isn't it? It's beautiful sunshine, and we're in a little kind of opening amongst bracken and birch trees. But can you tell me exactly where we are in the Peak District? Yeah, we're actually on Garden's Edge, um, which is just below Birchen Edge. And that's a section of the Peak District, only just in the Peak District. Um, we're about five miles out of Chesterfield. We can sort of overlook the uh, Chatsworth Estate. 
and it's just a lovely little spot it's really quiet and the reason you know I wanted to come here today was because it's one of my favorite places because it is always so quiet it is lovely and also because we've just done a lovely walk that took us over the edge we had beautiful views of the surrounding countryside and then we've come down into this sort of opening um, and we're we're right by a kind of neolithic stone carving aren't we <laughs> yeah it's um it's a cup and ring marked rocks on uh, Gardam's edge i don't know much about it um, but this whole area is um is is pretty sort of ancient really there's a lot of uh, bronze age and neolithic history on Gardam's edge and on birchen edge um it's just a really interesting place to bring somebody for a walk and i thought you'd really so enjoy nice. really enjoy some something slightly different definitely i've never yeah. been to this part of the peak district before and it is absolutely brilliant and so you're in the peak district a lot um for your job but also you you live in nottingham which is only about 50 minutes away but what do you think is it about the peak district that you think is special um well i grew up in this area really just on the edge of the peak district and it's always been special to me because as a child this would be where we would come at weekends you know, mum and dad would bring us out every weekend into the Peak District, for either for a walk or to visit some historical um, place or a stately home or a picnic or, you know, we'd often come camping as well. So for me, it's just, it's the centre of sort of my walking yeah. life, really. It's, it's where I grew up walking and it's where I do most of my walking and work now. Yeah, I I'm just can't wait to talk about how you all came into your business and your career in a minute and, you know, growing up. But I just want to tell the listeners a bit about your career. You are a mountain leader. Yep. You have your own mountain leading business called Emma Holland Mountain Training. You do freelance mountain leading for other companies. And then on top of all of that, you are also a library volunteer coordinator for Nottingham City Council. So. That is a hell of a lot of stuff. <laughs> I wonder how you balance it all. What's your kind of typical working week? What does that look like? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm quite lucky really that my, my work for the council is, is fairly flexible and I've got a good manager, a good team, um, and I've been with the council for 30 years now. So I, I've, I've gradually reduced my hours over the last sort of, you know, 10 years, I suppose, as I've been uh, moving into this career as a mountain leader. But I, I, I've got a very flexible work pattern, um, which means that I'm lucky enough and I do feel privileged that I can actually switch my working hours around according to my outdoor work. I, I think if I couldn't do that, I wouldn't be doing what I am now. Yeah. I would have had to make some more difficult choices and decisions around what to do. But I like having that contrast of work. I like sort of having a, an office job for half of the week yeah. and an outdoor job for the other half of the week. So. You know, my standard working week is, is Monday through to Wednesday working for the library service, uh, yeah, where I manage, um, I support and manage and recruit uh, volunteers for Nottingham City Council and run the home library service, which is a library service for people who can't access the library uh, mm. without the support of the volunteers and the home library service. And then the other half of the week is um, predominantly putting on courses within my own business and then um, dipping in and out of freelance work with other companies and organisations that, that you know, I do feel lucky to be involved with um, yeah. and work for. So, yeah, that's my working week. And then weekends, it's pretty much more mountain leader work. Yeah. So, you know, throughout the summer months from sort of April through to September, I, I can at times work a seven day week. Gosh, yes. Um, it's, it's pretty intense. It's, it's, it's difficult to balance and juggle everything, but, you know, I just enjoy everything I do so much. I, I can't really pick one of those jobs that yeah. that means more to me than another. Um, they yeah. all they all give me something. 
So then in your mountain leader business then, you do everything from guided walks, guided wild camps, and then navigation courses. You also do a lot of mentor work for um, other people who are trying to get into the outdoors industry. Mm -hmm. So specifically then about the navigation courses, what are you trying to um, show people and hope that they learn? I want people to gain the confidence and find their own paths, have their own adventures. Um, I taught myself to navigate. Nobody, I didn't have any formal training. You know, I grew up in the guides. Or, you know, I was active as a girl guide. And then as a young adult, I, I went out exploring and finding my way without, without the use of guidebooks. It was just open a map and, and try and figure out where to go and how to get there. And I think I just want to support people and encourage people and give them the confidence to actually do that themselves to to realize that um, there's nothing quite as sort of empowering and exciting as, as finding your own own path and um, having an adventure um, in the British countryside so you obviously do map and compass work you teach people how to use a map and compass um, and obviously it's, it's about keeping people safe isn't it I suppose and getting them out of tricky situations if their mobile phone doesn't work and things like that. Yeah, I run um, I run sort of um, accredited courses that the NNAS, that's the National Navigation Award Scheme, um, run. So I, I do bronze, silver, and gold. So that's kind of beginners, intermediate, and advanced. So I do I do I run the accredited uh, courses um, where people can come along and have a certificate. Um, it's not a certificate that enables somebody to actually lead. They doesn't qualify them to lead people out in the hills. It's just a personal achievement. And then I'll, I can do bespoke sessions for, for people that maybe want to, you know, I've had, I've had people come to me who are doing the Land's End to John O'Groats walk mm. um, and, and want to actually navigate themselves from, from, from Cornwall all the way to Scotland. And obviously that's a variety of terrain they're going to go across. So I'll, I'll sort of make a, create a bespoke course according to what people want. So, yeah, the majority of my work is teaching navigation. Yeah. And then your guided wild camps then, they sound great for me. You've actually just come back from one this weekend mm. in the Lake District. So what do you do on those guided wild camps? Well, Dave, um, Dave Beer, who I uh, came across a few years ago, he, he set up a, a company called Camp 404. At the time, he wasn't qualified to take people into the mountains and the hills. Um, he's since qualified as a HML and I've been sort of supporting him along that journey as well. And that's a hill and hill and moorland, moorland yeah. leader. Um, yep. So um, he, he's provided all the equipment for his little business and he called it Camp 404 because um, when you go onto Google and you search for something, if you, can't, if you get no search results back, it comes with error 404. So he, he, it's, I think it's a really clever play on, on what we're trying to do, which is take people out into the mountains to get lost. Not literally, but I, I lead the walks. Dave puts on some really um, structured, uh, well thought out training sessions on weekends from his home. And he teaches people how to use the tents, use the cooking, how to pack their rucksacks. I guess it's like a mini DOV training yes. session, really, um, helping adults who might benefit from, from what we have both benefited from, which is that experience of solitude and um, peacefulness on the mountainside um, and the buzz that that gives you just being up you know you feel so humble you feel so small it's, um, it's it's just an amazing place to be but we wanted to share that with people but do it in a responsible um, way and also make sure that they had the right skills and, and knowledge to do that safely because mm. you know the mountains are a dangerous place if you don't know what you're doing mm. so we we put together um, several wild camps a year so we all go up on 
public transport and then set off from Keswick um, and then have sort of three, two and a half days in the hills. The last trip, this last weekend was just amazing. The weather conditions were perfect. Oh, and I think I had sort of a couple of the best wild camps I've ever had with the views and the conditions. Yeah. Um, what, what is it about wild camping that you love, do you think? Um, the solitude. I actually sleep better in a tent on the mountainside than anywhere else, yeah. Just sort of um, the peacefulness of it all. And um, it's when I sit and reflect, I think, most about my life when I'm up on the mountain. And, you know, my mum passed away earlier this year and oh, I've not really processed it properly yet, but I was sitting up on the, um, up on sort of high rays last weekend and um, I had a good hour or two to myself because everybody was getting their tents out and... I sort of, you know, they were self-sufficient, they were doing really well, um, they didn't need much help and I wanted to give them some space to sort of escape technology and, and I just sat there sort of like looking at the clouds and just reflecting on my relationship with my mum and it's the first time that I guess I'd cried as well actually, mm -hmm. um, sort of, and it was just kind of in that moment, you know, I remember everything her and my dad taught me as a child about sort of the outdoors and how to appreciate it and um, I had a moment of, well, I'm actually now sharing this with these people and I'm giving them the skills and the confidence and the knowledge and I'm, I'm bringing people up here to experience this powerful, this powerful feeling. And it must be a wonderful thing to be able to do that for people. Yeah, and it was sort of um, knowing, knowing that I'd, I'd brought them up there and Dave had, up, Dave had skilled them with all the knowledge and the, 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 the practical skills for the camping and you know, seeing the small group we had, because we always take very small groups just so we've got a minimal impact and we leave no trace. But we, we, we had a small group of four and um, sitting, watching them from a distance, having their sort of ready meal in the evening, you know, with hot water and <laughs> packet meal, just watching them sitting there smiling and laughing and enjoying the views. And it was just like, it just kind of brought it back to me why I do what I do. Oh. Just to get, to, and it's the same with the navigation, you know, giving people the skills, the confidence, the knowledge and the ability to to have adventures. Mm. You know, and I've never been I've never been into really huge adventures. I mean, I've not traveled very widely across the, the world, but I've certainly traveled widely within the UK uh, and explored parts of this country that, you know, are special. Um, so I'm, I'm not kind of an extreme outdoor ML, you know, I just enjoy and appreciate the British countryside mm. and I want people to get the same buzz that I get. I'm sorry to hear about your mum and I uh, it must be you know that's why many of us find the outdoors so soothing it is a time to reflect and mm. to think and and just to be calm and peaceful for a little while. I'd love to hear a bit more about her and, mm. and your dad and mm. how you grew up so you said you grew up in this area what were outdoors adventures with your family like then? Um, well, my dad, my dad was a teacher for 40 years and um, an art teacher. And my mum sort of, she was quite an academic actually, but she never progressed through university or she, she sort of got married to my dad and had me and my brother. Um, and I think she always had a, a sense of underachievement in terms of academically and what she wanted to do. But, you know, she was, she was an excellent mother, excellent wife. Um, they brought me and my brother up to have adventures. Neither of them were particularly sporty or, or, or um, extreme. They just enjoyed and appreciated everything around them. And because my dad was a teacher, we, we'd, we'd spend every school holiday going somewhere different or somewhere new. You know, we traveled a lot within the UK. We always camped. 
apart from like sort of the sort of October half term where we'd have a cottage somewhere mm. and they were always taking us on walks nothing heavy or you know we didn't go up mountains as a child they weren't that kind of walkers they just they enjoyed finding places like where we are now where there's something historical and you know as a child you, you just pay no attention to any of it yeah. you know you get taken <laughs> to a beautiful country house or you know you go to an art gallery or something sort of where they you know my parents were very sort of into education and um you know I just I just I just got given a lot as a child mm. um a lot of experiences mm. a lot of different experiences and yeah we, we grew up locally and we'd always be in the Peak District at the weekends my brother went on to actually become a countryside ranger oh, so right. he, t- he took a career in the outdoors as well he moved down to Dorset sort of in his early 20s when he met his wife and he's now sort of um, countryside and rights of way officer for Dorset County Council so right. it's quite useful to tap him up for information yeah. when I need something sort of to do with anything walking related or rights of way. Um, well, it's definitely run in the family. Yeah, then, isn't but, it? but but it's interesting because my parents didn't do anything particularly extreme. But they just instilled that love of being the, outdoors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we we oh, my dad's got a huge garden, so you know we we spent more time in the garden than watching television. You know, there was always something creative going on in the garden or outdoors. My dad's got a wild imagination, you know, he can sort of make games up out of nothing, you know, sort of uh, just to amuse us as children. <laughs> and my mum, you know, she was just quiet, kept the house running, ticking. She was the enabler, I suppose. Dad was out working hard, coming back from school, you know, having to do sort of school prep in the evenings. And we'd get to the weekends, but he'd always put 110% into the activities that we were going to do at the weekend. So I had a really, really amazing childhood. Didn't think I'd go into a career in the outdoors. Well, I was going to say, because it was actually not until your 40s that you became a mountain leader. Mm. Um, So just going back a bit then, in your 20s and 30s then, what was the outdoors for you? Because you were working for the council. Mm. So how did the outdoors fit into your life? Well, I don't think it really did in a... It didn't fit in as it did when I was a child. Mm. I I sort of left, you know, I left where I grew up, a small town in Derbyshire, at at the age of 18. I couldn't wait to get out of the town. I wanted to move to the city, you know. um, At the time, I was questioning my sexuality, so I just wanted to get get somewhere where I felt like I could fit in and and have new experiences and find out who I really was. Um, So I moved to Nottingham and, and got a job. I got the first job I applied for, really, when I was 18 for Nottingham City Council. And once I moved to the city, I think my life changed, really. I became sort of, I was, you know, going out partying, as you do as an 18, 18 year old, you know, into your early 20s. Um, I still walked. I still went on holidays with my parents. Um, me and my brother would go out and have walks together because um, I've always been very close with him. And I'd, all my holidays would still continue to be about going to places in the UK to explore, to find somewhere yeah. new. So. Yeah, I, I didn't ever think I was going to start working the outdoors, but it was still important to me, holidays, really. You know, you'd get four weeks leave of the council and there'd be something planned in for every week of the year. Yeah. There'd be something planned in for every weekend of the year. You know, I'd be doing something outdoors um, at every opportunity I could. But but I was sort of in the middle of a Nottingham city centre and it, it didn't feel quite as accessible as... I mean, I'm still there now, but now that I work in the outdoors... I've got a reason to get out, yeah. I suppose. So tell me, how did you make that transition then to, you know, training to be a mountain leader, getting qualified and then making it 
part of your career. What was the driver in that? Because if you weren't massively, you know, you, your outdoors life was sort of weekends and holidays, what was the turning point, do you think? Um, I used to help lead walks for a women's group in the Peak District. And I used to lead walks for them maybe two or three times a year, informally, not paid. Yes, it was just yeah. a, a group of friends socialising and having a walk once a month. And somebody within that group was a qualified mountain leader. And she just basically said, your navigation skills are really hot. <laughs> you know, you, you, you could do that with your eyes closed. You know, you, you're a good leader, you're organised, you're a good navigator. And why don't you go and get paid to do this? And um, that was sort of like in my mid-30s, I think, that, that, that idea was cemented. I didn't do anything about it until I met my partner, now wife, Karen, and within six months of us being together, and I told her what I thought in my mid-30s about wanting to be a mountain leader, she was like, oh, you should do that. Yeah, you should do that. You, that'd be brilliant, you know. And I'm like, well, I'm 40. Change of career feels a bit scary. I've got a good pension developing. I've got good benefits entitlements working for the council. I enjoy my job. Gosh, yeah, how, how do I do it? And um, essentially, she just, without me knowing, booked me on a training course. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> the mountain leader training course and said, I've, I've, I've paid for your course off you go you go in to the Lake District in April for a week and let's just see what happens it's only a training course yes. it's just to find out whether you like it whether you want to do it and whether you know you're any good at it and it's just to train you how to become a mountain leader mm. so yeah off to the Lake District I went did um, you love it no I hated it oh you hated it <laughs> it was probably the worst experience of my um, mountain leader no. career really um it's really hard. I was the only female on a group of eight, and there was seven men and myself. They were all very experienced rock climbers. I think a few of them knew each other, so it was quite a clicky group mm. as well. And I was petrified, if I'm honest, because I didn't have the confidence to think I was going to be any good. And I didn't know what I was letting myself in for. I knew that I got enough quality mounting days, and I knew that I'd done enough walking. I knew that my navigation was good. Mm. But then you've got to throw in all the other skills that you need to learn, like, you know, sort of um, managing the rope in, in emergency and, you know, the unplanned, unplanned uh, use of a rope, river crossings, uh, expeditions, carrying big mm. heavy bags, group management, um, all, the, all the aspects within the mountain leader syllabus. There was only one that I felt confident with, and that was navigation. But, but you know, being surrounded by seven guys mm. who were, you know, you know, they were, they were nice and friendly, but I didn't feel like I fitted in. Mm -hmm. And I certainly didn't understand what they were talking about half the time, you know, with rope work and knots. And, you know, um, I can remember just standing there in tears, crying, feeling a complete idiot because I did not understand what they were talking about. So that week does sound difficult then. So you came away thinking, well, I mean, obviously it was not, not for me. Really? Yeah. 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 Karen, Karen met me um, in Coniston and I just said, that's not for me. I don't want to do this. I knew that I could do it, but I just didn't want to because because I didn't feel like I fitted in or could do it. I, I felt like I couldn't do certain elements of it that were sort of quite critical to the to the syllabus. Yeah. And I came away and that was it. We didn't talk about it for a few months, mm. maybe even longer, maybe even nine months, a year, possibly. I was just happy to just walk, you know, I was happy mm. just to carry on with my enjoyment of the outdoors. I mean, I really wanted to do it. I didn't want to do it, the mountain leader train, to, to actually necessarily work in the outdoors. It was to upskill myself as mm. well and just prove that I could do something because I wasn't academic at school. I left with, you know, very few GCSEs and 1A level and I didn't go to college or university. I was much more sporty 
so I, I wanted to sort of like do it, I suppose, because I wanted to prove that I could complete and finish something and actually get a certificate, I suppose. For me, it was a, about actually passing something, I suppose. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I, I, I think when I came away, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to fail again. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get there. It's interesting when you have an experience like that, that kind of makes you question yourself, even though you obviously had the skills. It's that sometimes when people put doubts in your mind or the culture of something you've just been in mm. sort of feels quite intimidating. Yeah, the culture, the culture didn't feel right. Yeah. Um, it felt like a boys' club. Yeah. Um, and I didn't feel like I fitted in. So how did you get then from, you know, forgetting about the mountain leader training mm. um, to then doing the assessment and then wanting to, it to be part of your career? I think because I was a member of the Mountain Training Association, which is a this association part of Mountain Training. So Mountain Training are the awarding body. Mm. Mountain Training Association is a, a group of members who, who support each other. They provide they provide peer to peer um, contact and, mm. and um, men the mentoring scheme. There's a, there's a really good network of regional groups, um, and I was part of the Peak District Regional Group. And for some reason, I hadn't connected up with them before my training. I think I found out about it at the training mm. and some time after my training, nine months later or whenever it was, I, I think I got an email from Mountain Training Association saying, oh, you know, there's an event happening in the Peak District by the uh, Peak District group. And I went along. At that event, I got given the name of somebody who works in North Wales who people really recommended um, as a, an instructor and a role model and somebody who delivers mountain training courses, um, ML courses, and that was Paul Paul from Paul Paul Mountaineering. And something about the conversation just, and he does refresher courses, and I'd been sort of, I'd not put any practice in since my mm. training, I just mm. left it really. And something in me made me reach out to him and, and get booked on one of his refresher courses mm. because somebody said to me, and I can't remember who it was, and if that, if you're listening, thank you. Um, I really sort of grateful for this because they said go and spend a day with Paul see a different approach see a different teaching style see see how you know see how somebody else can deliver a course and see if you feel any different after that and I went and it was like light bulb moment really? um, his teaching style is different to anything I've ever experienced and um, even now I sort of like signpost people to Paul and I been on lots of his courses. I went and did all my follow-up courses. So the, I went to do a rope work session, mm. a whole day, a night nav session. Mm. So I pretty much did my whole ML training course again, but in short snippet refresher days. Yeah. And sort of, you know, after after two or three sessions, I was like buzzing again, and I was like, this is, this is this is brilliant. I feel like somebody actually understands where I struggle. Somebody can explain things in a way that I need them explaining. I'm, things are demonstrated well, I'm supported, there was patience, there was calm, it was inclusive atmosphere. And um, yeah, after two or three sessions with Paul, I was back on it. Yeah. And then I just committed the next two years to just, along with working full time, because I, you know, I was working full time. Every weekend, every spare moment I had was follow up courses, follow on training, CPD days. What does um, CPD mean? Continuing professional development. Right. So you can go up with the Mountain Training Association. They put on um, sort of other courses where you can go and learn about flora, fauna, geology. Mm. You can go and practice rope work with other trainees. Yeah. 
So all of that two years was leading up to your assessment yeah, to yeah, get yeah, qualified yeah, to be a mountain leader. Yeah. So some people do it quickly. Some people can do it in six months. Some people can take four or five years. It depends yes. what your commitments are. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky in one sense that I've not got a family, um, which sort of restrains me a little bit in terms of family commitments. But I'm also extremely lucky that I've got a, a partner, wife, who, who, pushes, who pushed me from the start by paying for the course, sat back and just let me figure out my own yeah. journey. And then as soon as I decided I was going for it, it was like all guns blazing. Yeah. And I put everything I got into it for for two years um, wow. and then I did my assessment in Snowdonia and passed yeah. yeah so that was in 2017 yeah and so you passed that yeah. which meant that you were therefore qualified to take and lead groups in the mountains hills and moorlands of the UK mm. and Ireland you touched on it a little bit earlier about how you then kind of incorporated it into your career but was there a moment where you thought oh I just I don't want to just do this on the side I really want to make this you know part of my weekly routine I'd spent a lot of time in the build-up to qualification thinking, what can I do with this award? Because, mm. you know, you can do so much with it. You can do D of E. You can Duke of Edinburgh. Duke of Edinburgh, yeah. yeah. You, can, you can set up your own business company. You can just freelance for other, other companies. Um, you could get involved with charity events. You can take people on the Three Peaks, the Yorkshire Three Peaks. You know, you can teach navigation courses. There's such a broad mm. scope of things that you could do with your ML. Um, you can work full-time, you can work part-time. It's pretty flexible, really. And um, I knew that I didn't want to do all the sort of big challenge work because I kind of enjoy walking. I don't want to feel like I'm in a rush. Right. Um, for me, it's really important to enjoy the atmosphere and my surroundings rather than rush somewhere and rush up to the top of a mountain, rush back down. Mm. I, I knew that I didn't want to do that work and I've never done any of those events because of that reason. And I, I knew that I wanted to work with DV because I, I like young people and I had a lot of experiences as a young person in the outdoors and sort of inspiring young people to, to follow the, my journey and my path um, and, and what I've gained from the outdoors was quite important. So I've been involved with a lot of DV and yeah, I set up my own, my own business and I freelance for other companies, um, mostly within the Peak District. And I've, I've worked in a lot of partnership with other people. Um, I really like partnership working it's quite a lonely life running mm. your own business at times being a woman running your own business mm. and not having people to bounce things off so I guess in a, a roundabout way I knew when I qualified what I wanted to do and it was teaching navigation because you know I've been told that I'm, I'm, I'm quite a good teacher I'm, I'm quite a good navigator and I wanted to stay local to the Peak District so that I wasn't having to travel all the mm. time because I needed to keep my other job part-time just for sort of financial uh, yeah. reasons because you know you don't earn a lot of money from becoming an ML. Oh that's really useful like you were yeah. saying before that you were able to get it down to part-time fairly easily yeah. so that you could do more of the ML work. Yeah I mean we, we went through several different council restructures and every year I'd, I'd sort of drop my hours and I went from 37 to yeah. you know to 30 to 25 to 22 and now I'm at 18 and a half right yeah. and I feel like I've got a really nice um, balance. Yeah. So you've mentioned that actually your mentor work yeah. as a mountain leader is really important to you. And why is that? I, because I had a bad experience and because I felt lost at the start of the process and didn't understand the system and what, needed to, what I needed to do and how it all worked. And, you know, I, I, I did a lot of, I, I didn't mix with an outdoor community when I was, um, you know, in my teens and 20s and early 30s. I was 
you know, just out with friends or family or solo walking or with partners. And um, I think I just wanted to to inspire and encourage people and give them the support that, mm. that I didn't get until I'd met Paul, mm. really. It wasn't until I met Paul and I sort of discovered this other world of sort of mentoring and support and encouragement. And um, I think I, w I wanted to give something back, really, because it, it's, it's quite scary when you start off as a start that journey mm. um, I think my my strap line for my own business um, is, is coaching your confidence mm -hmm. and I think that's what I'm not a qualified coach I've not got any um, certification in coaching but um, a lot of the feedback that I get is that that's that's what I'm good at mm. coaching people's confidence building self-esteem um, inspiring others you know giving them a sense of achievement I, I really enjoy my men mentoring role mm. and yeah I've got, I've got two Two mentees at the minute in the latest mountain training association program nicola and ben both a similar age uh, both working full-time in other careers at the minute looking to transition into some outdoor work of some sort so and it's also nice that you know we've set up like a little i've set them a little peer network up so they can do stuff together and hoping to get out wild camping with them yeah. uh, over the summer sometime and then I also um, do some mentoring for Pure Outdoor, who are a, a, an outdoor um, company in the Peak District. They have a, something called the Pure Foundation, which again, I'm really proud to be part of that because they, they plough 5% of their profits that they make as a company back into the business. It's called the Building Leader Scheme. And so far, I think they've contributed £11,000 to the fund. Um, it's for underrepresented groups and people who might not be able to access the outdoors yeah. quite as easily so you know I've, I've got a commitment there really as one of their associate instructors I, I give sort of five percent of my time free free because mentoring is all, all mm. voluntary so that it keeps me really busy and I've got sort of five mentees there who who are hoping to, again to go into some sort of outdoor career mm. who, who who might sort of just benefit from some peer-to-peer -peer support and some mentoring from from myself who's been through the journey mm. um, well it sounds like it's a lot of rewarding work mm. being a mountain leader and aside from you know what you see other people get out of it what are some of the favorite moments you've got of being a mountain leader just in terms of you know places you've been or camps you've been on or hikes with groups it's really difficult because there's so many yeah but um, I think the funniest the funniest one was when I was out in the um, the Molwins with my mentee uh, a few years ago, Linda, and um, it was the first wild camping trip we'd been on together. And the purpose of it was to, you know, I give my time free, free to my mentees, and uh, but I also I also have a good time. You know, it's not like I don't enjoy those yeah. experiences as well. But yeah. we went into the Molwins uh, for a, a, an exped. Uh, That's in North Wales. Yeah, in North Wales, yep. a notoriously difficult place for micro nav. Can be very bleak, um, very boggy. It's very wild, but not in a rugged sense. It's more sort of. Have you been? No, no. I have never been. Yeah, that you, should, far. you should go. It's um, yeah, yeah it's, it's an amazing place. And we'd we'd gone up for a wild camp, and I've never had um, an equipment failure or kit failure before. But in the space of like twelve hours, my air mattress went down, oh, no. and my stove uh, broke. <laughs> And um, there's me sort of meaning to set an example of, of you know, um, a qualified ML, you know. So, so we, we, we had a good laugh. Yeah, I think the following morning as well, I made the um, classic error of leaving my boots out in the, in the porch area of my tent. And it was so cold, they froze overnight and I couldn't get my feet back into my boots. 
um, oh yeah, I won't do that again. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and you know, clients that I've had through my own business. There's a guy at the minute called Paul Bennett who's um, walking Lands Entered on a Groats. Wow. On his own, self-supported, and he came to me two or three months ago for a navigation day. So every now and again, I get a little tag on Instagram or Facebook to say, Emma, I've, I've gone across a, a field of cows and I found the exit by taking a bearing because I knew exactly where the, the point across the field was. Or, yeah. Emma, I'm walking through the Cairngorms and, you know, I've kind of been relocating myself just with the contour features. Or, you know, the weather, the weather was awful and, you know, I, I did what you said with my waterproofs and I put two on and, you know, sort of, yeah. you know, every now and again I get like some really nice feedback from clients I've worked with or who I've taught or mentees and every, everything I do as a mountain leader, it creates memories mm. and I wish I could remember them all. So it's obviously, I mean, all the different things you do from your business through to your library work, through to your volunteering, your mentoring. It's a really busy life, Emma. You obviously have to do a lot of travel as well in your business. Um, you have a van, right? Yep, I've got a camper van called uh, Maggie. Um, <laughs> I got it just before lockdown, so um, I was quite lucky, really. She's probably worth more now than what, <laughs> what I paid for her. But yeah, it's kind of like my home on wheels. I'm, a soci sort of, I'm socially a bit anxious, which you know I don't come across that when I'm with groups and I'm, I'm teaching, but I, 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 need, I need my own space. I'm a classic introvert, extrovert. And that sort of camper van, Maggie, bless her, she's my little haven at the end of the day. And I need that space and time away to recharge myself because when I'm doing any work, I just put my whole self into it and it's exhausting. Mm. Along with the travel mm. and the planning and the prep and the admin and the paperwork and the emails and the social media, you know, it's, it's kind of endless really. And um, me and the camper van, yeah, we, we have some fantastic trips away. And you're right, it is, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of travel involved. Um, and since my mum's passed away, I'm kind of re-evaluating and reassessing how much I do travel because my dad's close by and we're very, very close. And um, I, I do, you know, although the Peak District isn't actually classed really as mountain terrain, I think most of my work over the next few years will be more in the Peak District, uh, developing my own business and doing a lot of mentoring and sort of um, leading group walks mm. um, and, and group navigation courses. Yeah. Trying to find a, balance, a better balance, really. So if you were to look back to, say, your early 30s before you did any of your mountain leader work and your life now, how do you feel? I mean, I, I feel really proud of where I've come, actually, because saying I'm not a risk taker, I took a big risk. You know, I've dropped, I've dropped hours in a you know, reasonably well-paid job. I've, I've set up my own company, my own business. Um, I've taken that risk. I feel happier because I'm, 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 I'm having lots of experiences. My life is about experience and meeting people and pushing myself out of my comfort zone. I do a lot of that, <laughs> this, 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 this kind of podcast included. Um, but, but I actually, I like learning things about myself. You know, my glass is always half full. I always want to find out more, discover more, go new places, meet new people learn have conversations i'm quite a self-reflective person i don't know where, where what's going to happen in the next 10 years i mean you know i'm sort of entering my 50s next year and um i know that i can't sustain the same effort and intensity that i have put into it in the last few years i do want to slow down but i want to make it more quality mm. rather than quantity mm. yeah my, my mid-30s just feel a bit like a blur really you know relationships work 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 
now now it's work 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 but it's more it's more rewarding and satisfying and I've got you know you know this is my outdoor office you know we all refer to you know working outdoors and it's like it's, there's no better place to be really yeah really happy Emma, who are the people who have inspired your outdoors adventures then? Karen, my wife, without her support and encouragement and that initial push to go and do the ML training, I don't think I would have done it. And Karen just kind of, she steps back when she knows that I need to sort of process and work something out for myself. But she's also very good at getting me to think things through in, in a different way. And just her ongoing support throughout my whole journey has just been um, incredible really and she, she knows that I'm grateful but I don't think I've actually um, thanked her publicly before so I'm, I'm going to do that now thank you Karen for every push you've given me every night navigation session you've been on with me every wild camp miserable wet rainy day experience we've had together and you know Karen builds my website because she's a web and print designer um, and having her in the background helping me with that admin and that support at home that's kind of been a, a solid rock really for me so um, Karen yeah she, she inspires me just by her approach and her attitude and her belief in me. Paul Poole from uh, North Wales who runs Paul Poole Mountaineering who's been so influential in many um, mountain leader careers of people that I know he's a fantastic role model when I qualified as an ML he offered to be a mentor for me for a while and it was Paul that encouraged me to think big really mm -hmm. you know encouraged me to to go for it really just just go for what you want go for what you believe in go for your dreams and just take it one step at a time and see see if you can make your dreams come true and I didn't think I'd set up my own business but I did but with his support and mentoring and his encouragement and his knowledge and experience of working in the outdoor industry for, for years and years, he helped me sort of put together the package of my website and what I needed to do, you know, sort of some of the legalities, some of the admin, some of the, you know, the terms and conditions, you know, I got no idea about starting a business, nothing. I just started from scratch. So, so I worked through that with him. He's just, a, he's just a nice guy, you know, he's fun, he's encouraging and just an ultimate professional and I signpost people to Paul all the time because, um, yeah, I, he's, he's my role model and, um, yeah, Paul's fantastic. Emma, tips then. So in terms of being a mountain leader then, what are your tips? I think, um, first of all, if you can, join the Mountain Training Association and get yourself a mentor. You know, you need some support through, through the process and uh, there's some really good outdoor professionals out there giving their time free. I think don't compare yourself to others. I did a lot of that for many years. Uh, imposter syndrome's really destructive and damaging. Um, and I think women actually probably suffer from that more than men or maybe they talk about it more than men. I think probably men feel exactly the same way but we just don't hear about it as much and always be sort of network as much as you can and try and work in partnership with people because you know it, it's 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 quite a lonely place when you're training but if you, if you network and make new friends it's it's a good place to take yourself tips then for places for people to go walking where are some of your favorites in the uk i like the places where nobody else is <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> so probably you don't want to say too many of them on this podcast. No, no. Um, I mean, you know, uh, since COVID, everywhere has just got really busy. And I've personally struggled with that, actually, because whenever I've been working or been away on a personal holiday, I just feel, surra- I feel like I'm surrounded by people all the time. So, I mean, I really, really like, there's a couple of places I really, really like that I think are a bit wilder and more remote and give me that solitude that I need when I'm, when I'm not working. Um, and that's uh, the Cheviots in Northumberland, mm. um, the Borders, anywhere across the border region, um, Dumfries and Galloway, the sort of the more remote areas, the Brecon Beacons mm. um, in the West. And Scotland, obviously, you can escape there. Uh, even now, even with COVID and the sort of influx of camper vans and travellers and people sort of going to Scotland. But the Isle of Arran has always been a special place to me. Karen and I um, go there quite regularly and that's probably my favourite walking mountain area in Scotland. And obviously the west coast, sort of all of the west coast of Scotland. Mm. So if in the Peak District, what are some of your favourite routes to take people on when you're working? When I'm working, Taking people to the top of Wynn Hill is always a, a wow moment. Great view from up there. Um, and you just feel like you're at the centre of the Peak District. It's, uh, have you been up to Wynn Hill? Yeah, I have yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. I really like um, the northern edge of Kinder, sort of looking down into the Snake Pass. Um, that feels quite remote. If, 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 if I'm sort of coming to the Peak District on my own, I often come up here, yeah. Birchin Edge and Gardens Edge, because it's, it's really accessible and it's, it's quick to get to. It's difficult, really, because the Peak District is just, you know, it's just beautiful and I feel like I know it really well. So if people are interested in doing a navigation course, where would you point them to? A couple of places people can go, really. Um, Obviously, other than your courses. Yeah, other than my courses, (laughs) but my courses are great. Um, (laughs) If they don't want to come on one of my courses, you can go to the NNAS website. That's the National Navigation Award Scheme. And there, there's a whole list of courses across the UK. Great. From beginners up, up to advanced and um, obviously you know you can go and get a book from your library give libraries a plug Um, and there's lots of online resources but for me it really learning a new skill like navigation really is cemented by actually having a hands-on practical uh, demonstration and and working through it in a supportive um, environment uh, where you've got time to ask questions and actually practically have a go at everything. Emma, thank you so much for this conversation. I've really enjoyed it and I've learned so much. So thank you. It's a pleasure. I hope you liked it up here on Garden's Edge. Absolutely. And I've loved our walk. And we're going to continue our walk now. We're going to head back to... Well, what, you tell me the rest of the route. Where are we So, heading? yeah, we've, we've, we started by... Um, we started at the Robin Hood Inn and we went up onto uh, Birchin Edge where we've got the three ships and Nelson's Monument. And then we've walked across the sort of the, the, the plateau across to Garden's Edge and then we're going to sort of head along Garden's Edge, back down, find some more uh, standing stones and rock art, and then uh, head back to the car. Oh, it's such a lovely afternoon. Thank you so much. It's been a a real pleasure pleasure to speak to you. No, I've really enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Emma's episode. You can see photos of Emma and a video from our recording on the Outdoors Fix website or on Instagram at the Outdoors Fix. You'll also find Emma on Instagram at EmmaHollandMT. So that's it for another series of The Outdoors Fix. I hope you enjoyed it and thank you so much for listening. Over the past few months, I've been working on The Outdoors Fix book, which is based on the podcast, and it's full of stories and tips about how you can make the outdoors a bigger part of your life. 
The Outdoors Fix book is available to buy now through the link in the podcast show notes, as well as the Vertebrate Publishing website, Amazon and other bookshops. Thank you to all of you and my guests for coming along on this very exciting journey with me. To finish off this episode and series, I'll leave you with some sounds of the sea recorded at Slapton Sands in Devon. So take a short moment to relax and start dreaming about those outdoors adventures.